This is the Comstock Report Podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets. Hi, everyone. This is Matthew Cruz at Comstock Investments. I'm here in our main office of Royal Iowa. I'm with Eric Relf, our branch manager here in the Royal office. Eric, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. How's it going this afternoon? I am good, ready to be done for the weekend. So we got uh, Royal Fun Days coming up here. Yeah, uh, that's kind of your jam, isn't it? Yeah, should should attract uh, as many people as Royal can hold. Isn't very many. <laughs> Which isn't very many. <laughs> I know. I was I, I looked on the the website for Royal and uh, population here topped out in 1980 at uh, about 520 people. So uh, yeah, it's it's only been going downhill since then. Well, <laughs> yeah, and and probably somewhere around half that at this point. But <laughs> you know, it people kind of laugh because they say, "Are you really in Royal Iowa?" And uh, say, "Yeah, yeah, we really are." It, it's a prince of a community. That's, <laughs> that's what it says on the sign out front. So, well, you have a lot of century farms around, and of course, your family having one of those century farms. There's just a lot of rich history here in the farming community, and and you don't have to go very far. And and you know, this ground is kind of the idol of all ground as far as the quality of the farm ground. So it's kind of a unique place. Yeah, we we've, we've been fortunate. We got some pretty heavy dirt here, and and uh, that's kind of helped us in the. In the dry years, the last uh, last few years uh, here in this area, Northwest Iowa, been fairly dry, and I think that subsoil moisture has gotten us through it. So, but we're everything looks pretty good around here. We are one of those garden garden spots this year, and uh, maybe I should feel a little guilty about that, but I don't because it's been we we've had it rough the yeah, last yeah. few years. So it's. It, it's about time we had one one season going our direction, but there's a lot of growing season left. So it seems like August has kind of been our Achilles heel that we've gone very dry in August. So, um, but so far in July we're doing all right. Yeah, actually, uh, talking to one of our longtime clients from just a, a handful of miles north of here a little bit ago, and and he said the tiles are running very slowly. So given where he's at and that being the case that means there's 10 inches of water sitting in the soil right now that should carry us out you know yeah. bar, given the temperatures that we're seeing right now now if that shifts and we're up in the mid 90s and windy then that could change things but for now some of these areas look great and have enough moisture in the ground to finish it out yeah well let's talk about the markets i want to maybe just give a brief comment first about brazil because conab came out with their production numbers yesterday and uh, they actually reduced the Brazil's soybean crop size um, by about 1.2 million metric tons. I think it's down to 154.5 uh, million metric tons, pretty close to that. They actually increased the corn output by 1 million metric ton, but that was offset by uh, a smaller crop in Argentina. So the, the corn crop in South America overall stayed the same size. So I, when I look for those South American numbers, I, I pay a little bit closer attention to what CONAB says rather than what the USDA says. That's just kind of my bias, just because that's where they're from. And we've, we talked about that the other day. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to call one of my buddies in southwest Kansas to ask him how things are looking in Iowa. I'm sitting here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of the same thing, right? Just as you would like to trust the USDA a little better on U.S. numbers than maybe what CONAB would put together. Yeah. So, you know, there's still massive production. And, and we still have to contend with some serious pressure there and, and competition. And, and, you know, we're, we're still dealing with that this year, even though, 
Argentina came in with half a crop or less. Yep. So what happens on a recovery there? I mean, that that's scary. Yeah, yeah. I think next year they are looking for a recovery because the, the El Nino is is back. It's building. And so when you, in those El Nino years, you usually get a wetter um, region in the southern part of Brazil and Argentina. And so that's not to say that northern areas of Brazil are going to go completely dry and have a drought. But if the uh, southern regions of South America uh, where of course Argentina is at is going to have wetter conditions. That's, that's what they expect to happen. So we do see a near complete rebound in Argentinian productions. Um, but that's, that's a ways off, but they have been getting good moisture right yeah. now. I, yeah, I think that's helping their, their winter wheat areas down there. But, uh, um, you know, they're still another couple months away from really getting into the heat of planting down there. Yeah, I think by all accounts, they're expected to have a bumper wheat crop, and many areas are, as we know, a lot of the southern areas are the main wheat growers, and they'll they'll benefit from this El Nino pattern, and, and we're seeing that already. So, obviously, that has shifted kind of the, the rainfall areas. Uh, as you mentioned, the last few years have been a little tough around here. We're kind of a garden spot this year. Some areas of Illinois, eastern Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, they would, uh, they would tend to agree that this is definitely a shift. They've had a, a gravy train the last few years for the most part. And now they're, they're starting to struggle here in a lot of five and six foot tall corn tasseling. And they're just not used to seeing that. And, and while it may not have a major impact, it can knock the top off of yield potential. Now, Mo, when you talk about those, Areas with shorter corn, are you talking mostly about Illinois, central Illinois, or, or where are you talking about? Uh, central to northern Illinois, uh, not so much east central Iowa, but northeast Iowa into Wisconsin, uh, that kind of along the river corridor, I guess, would be the way to summarize that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that farmers in general have had a lot of experience with those, those shorter height corn and how they produce. So, We'll be interested to see how it performs, but certainly no one's expecting any bin buster yields out of it. But at the same time, I, I think there's been, uh, uh, it's been suggested that it doesn't necessarily have a strong adverse impact on productivity. And so I, I still think they should expect a, a decent crop, assuming the rainfall continues. Right. right? As long yeah. as they can fill in here. Yeah. But, but it's certainly possible that the, the, that the top end of the yield has been clipped. Um, but yeah, we've, we've seen that in the past. It's, I've seen that a lot of no-till where the no-till, uh, areas are shorter, yeah. but can still produce fairly well, uh, compared to conventional soils. So sure. Let's talk about the, the markets a little bit. We've had, uh, tremendous volatility this week. Uh, uh, you know, of course we had, we're still digesting the reports a little bit. It was, Kind of interesting that the market collapsed on, on Wednesday following the reports. And then we pretty much, uh, made it all back the very next day. And, and we're adding some today, at least in the corn. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's your take on that? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, initially, you know, obviously the trade was looking for a certain thing in both corn and beans. They didn't get it. And we, we hit the markets pretty hard as a result. But as they digested the numbers, realizing, okay, it's the USDA following status quo. They're not going to make major changes in July, but there's probably changes coming down the line. So then they shrug that off, take all of those losses back from Wednesday as we went into Thursday's trade. And actually beans took it all back and exceeded. 
Uh, corn was almost to the penny right back where it was prior to the reports. Uh, then we see follow through in the corn. Now, corn and beans are, are a different deal. You know, you, we, we talk about corn and beans because that's what most of our clients are farming. That's what most people have interest in. But when you look at the charts and you look at the reports, you're looking at two very different crops. I mean, there, there's a massive difference between a 2.2 billion carrying corn and a 250 or 300 carrying beans which most would argue were not at that level, but that's what the USDA printed. So we have two very different markets there. They've been going in opposite directions at times, and people have been surprised by that, but there's reason for it. And I think now you're going to see the corn do a little catching up. Uh, beans may not give up too hard, but uh, they did start to back off a little bit today from the highs. We finished near steady on the day. Uh, you, you're not looking for any major upside in the short term unless we start to see some weather threat. And the beans have time. Everyone knows that. The market knows that. So it's about that 30-day forecast and what are things looking like as we come into August. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that I think yesterday's market reaction, at least in the beans, was saying they didn't believe the the USDA report at all, right? Yeah. Like they, yeah. You know, the, the general consensus among the trade or among farmers is that, uh, hey, look, we've lost something. Maybe we don't know exactly what it is. We, we've lost something. And so – um, they're, they're, maybe they're just USDA's kicking the can down the road, but, uh, yeah. the trade just came right back and said, no, we've lost something and, and they're starting to price that in. Sure. Yeah. You, you've definitely lost something. I mean, you can't look at a, at a 51% good, excellent condition rating. And even though it is early, I get that. Uh, but you can't look at that condition rating along with increased crush demand domestically. The global oil demand picture is just out of sight. You factor all those things in, and, and I think a lot of people would argue that if the USDA were forthcoming with every potential, which they never do, uh, we may have had a negative carry. And so they can't do that to the market all at once. They need to see what this crop looks like. And frankly, you know, there is a, an argument to be made that on both sides of this, because you look out across fields right now, and particularly no-till beans, they look tough. But they do have plenty of time and, and they can sit there and look tough until August and, and bounce right up and yield like uh, crazy. Are stuff. you talking about my field? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yours among others. <laughs> All right. So the July contracting corn goes off the board today. Is that right? And, That's right. And we're, it's trading. I didn't see the final numbers, but it was close to a, a dollar above the September contract. And so what does that mean for our listeners? Yeah. So you've got July corn gone at 599 and three quarter. September finishes at 506 and a half, but did make a high, um, at 508 and a half. So you, you basically have a 91 cent gap between the July and the September. And that gap will be present on a continuation chart. Uh, a little study in would, would, uh, lead you to believe that September likes to at least try to take back half of that gap, uh, on a, on a normal year. So it's not out of line to think that we need to see 45 to, to 50 cents in the September corn to the top side just at an attempt to close that continuation chart gap or at least get to that halfway point. So that's something we'd be watching for. Meanwhile, uh, the December's carrying a seven cent premium to the September. So all things being equal, you know, that would, that would put a topside projection on the December somewhere around 560 to 570. 
not out of the question to think that that could happen, especially when we're looking at an August report coming that could have a further yield reduction unless things change. Yeah. You know, one thing that we've discussed internally is that, uh, you know, everyone's banging on the, the poor exports and uh, poor ethanol consumption and all that. When you look at the, the quarterly stocks report that came out, you know, it ended up, uh, we ended up consuming more than what they were estimating. So the right. stocks were, were down. So, so if that's the case, then where is it all going? You know, if really the, the demand and consumption is so poor, um, you know, where, where is it all going if it's that, that bad? Yeah. I don't think everyone waited until a few weeks ago to sell their corn, yeah. but, um, they, you know, it does, it does, does beg the question of, of where is it and did we have real numbers a year ago or two years ago? Uh, and I think that's something that a lot of guys are starting to scratch their head about and wonder, is this just them making up for lost ground over the past, you know, recent history? Now, feed demand is not backing down. Um, there are a lot of major areas that are struggling. And so, you know, the idea of seeing lower feed and residual due to uh, herd size being well, decimated in some cases, there's just nowhere else and nothing else to feed them. So that's uh, that's going to stay up there. You know, we may see a little bit of a shift on the new crop uh, for feed and residual demand because that is obviously for the next year, and uh, and we're still selling cows, and and cattle are obviously the biggest consumer. Yeah, so we're still in that uh, you know gray area or that uncertainty going back and forth. Is the grain corridor going to continue? Is it not? It looked like this morning there was a, an announcement made that the uh, Putin did come out in favor of continuing the, the grain corridor with, with Ukraine. Um, and so that might have, um, that's why we maybe saw some early morning weakness in mm-hmm. the grains, but uh, that was pretty short lived. But I don't know that the, the, the trade puts too much in that anymore because it seemed like the problem is Putin has cried woof here too many times, yeah, threatening right. that he's going to shut it down. And, uh, that's all pretty much all of a certainty. And then like the, the day before, the the uh the timeline or the expiration you know there's an announcement yeah okay it's back again. yeah he, so, he signs and everything's fine yeah and everything's fine again yeah. so i uh, i don't know that uh the trade puts a lot of faith in that uh and you know until he actually puts the hammer down and really closes it for good but uh i also question too even if they did shut it down at this point um the ukraine and eastern europe and has had enough time to create alternative uh, supply chains there, you know, through that, and they probably aren't near as efficient because Ukraine is set up for ocean going yeah, export. Right, right. But nevertheless, they've, they've created their own temporary dry ports and, and I'm sure there's huge trucking lines shipping grain across Eastern Europe, uh, to get it out of there. But it's, they've created, uh, alternate channels to, to, uh, the point where, it, it seems like it's minimized the impact that, that the, uh, Ukraine grain corridor, uh, staying open or closed is somewhat mute. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the trade's just sick of hearing about it. Just plain and simple. And, you know, so yeah, your front door's broken and you keep delaying or can't get a contractor there or whatever. You're using the back door for so long. Eventually it just becomes normal. And that's kind of what they've gone through. Yeah, so this morning, uh, Turkey's President Erdogan was, was saying that, 
you know, Putin was in agreement and they were going to come to terms and that was putting some pressure on things. And, you know, through many requests for a response, nothing ever came out of Russia. And then we see wheat move 22, 23 cents higher uh, in pretty short order. So that was another little prop rod for the corn today. But, you know, it, it stands to reason when their primary exports are wheat and corn and actually it's corn first. But, you know, that's that's what they focus on. And we did have this week a 315,000 ton uh, export sale announcement of soybeans to Mexico. Um, that is a rare sale. And, and, you know, Mexico just doesn't buy as particularly beans. They'll buy corn in that kind of quantity, but not beans. And so that was a little surprise to the market. And that was probably one of the reasons that we were able to push about 70 cents this week, low to high. Um, but I, I think, and maybe you disagree, but I think that that was a direct result of a lower dollar. Well, I think that definitely had something to do with it. You know, that, that's got a lot of tension now. And, uh, you know, I think the market is we're, what we're seeing in these lower uh, inflation numbers that uh, are at, uh, you know, what are the probably three year lows for inflation, right? We're back. We're almost back to what we were pre COVID. And right. so the market's looking at that thinking, okay, you know, we're, we're back to normal here pretty much close to, Two, two and a half percent inflation levels. That's pretty good. That's that close to what their target was, I believe. Sure. And so there's really no reason for any, uh, further increase in interest rates. And, uh, and so that could be, you know, what I think is the main reason for the, for the, uh, the dollar, uh, doing what it's doing. So let's talk about feeder cattle a little bit. You know, this week I was looking at the cattle thinking they were probably due for another, um, correction here. We got a tiny one, but, uh, you know, today they, they came back pretty strong and, and that was surprising because corn was up so, so high. Um, you know, for the day it was up double digits. And so, uh, what do you, what do you think's going on there? Yeah. So the corn definitely was putting pressure on feeder cattle midweek. Um, you know, particularly Thursday and, and that was, I guess to be expected when you see a big move up in the corn and you see the feeders go down. What was surprising was on Wednesday when feeder cattle shot higher. And at one point, and I, I don't remember the exact figures, but at one point I know they were over three and a half dollars higher in several key contracts and then came back to a dollar fifty lower. A five dollar swing all while corn is down. Uh, they swung five dollars off their high. So that was troubling to a lot of traders. And I'm, I, I actually kind of made note that this week, uh, November feeder cattle, which is a key contract right now, the November feeder cattle finished the week 20 cents lower. After all that chaos, they were down 20 cents on the week. Uh, and, and that's while corn's up uh, about 15 cents on the week in the December contract. So that, that all kind of makes sense. But, uh, the, the live cattle just soar into new high closes. Now we haven't. We haven't notched out new highs or contract highs or continuation chart highs or any of that, but we did see high closes in several contracts today, which is significant. Uh, and and if with a little bit of follow through to start next week, uh, those markets could move sharply higher still, even at these elevated levels. But it's going to depend on the cash, and cash has been pretty spare, pretty sparse this week. Yeah. Well, I looked at the forecast here before we sat down, and the ten day forecast shows. Pretty good rainfall coming in, I think, in most of the eastern Corn Belt. I know a lot of south uh, and central Illinois, 
southern Michigan, some of those areas that were struggling more look like they're, they're going to get continued precipitation in the next 10 days. It does start to get drier here in northern Iowa, northwest Iowa, southwest Minnesota, South Dakota, I think. But I think a lot of those areas are probably sitting a lot better off than than Illinois was a couple of weeks ago too, so they can have more time that they can get by. So, you know, yeah. Other than that, I mean, what do you what do you think uh, we should look for next week in the markets? Well, I'm I'm going to be watching uh, the six to ten day really closely as we get closer to Sunday night, and and also looking at rainfall totals over this weekend. The, those I think are going to be big. Um, any updates on those deferred forecasts may impact the beans a little more. And, and I, I guess I would say watch the headlines out of Russia. This weekend is, is when we're supposed to see that deal happen if it's going to happen. So look for that extension or not. I guess also watch what kind of harvest reports we're seeing on the wheat that, that could impact that as, as they're moving through the HRW and SRW harvest now. All right. Well, uh, with that, I think we'll head out for the weekend. Eric, thank you for your time. Yep. Sounds good. For a more complete version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations, subscribe on our website at Comstock.com or reach out to one of our risk management specialists about how we can help you protect your profits. Futures trading involves risk. The risk of loss in trading futures and or options is substantial, and each investor and or trader must consider whether this is a suitable investment. Past performance is not indicative of future results.